Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he only takes calculated risks, which stinks because I'm really bad at math. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, I, I got a shirt that has rows of corn on it and I must say I've never been so comfortable in a crop top before. <laughs> Very nice. I'm totally here for that one. I like it a lot, Matt. Up next, he's our oldest friend, which is funny because we haven't even known him all that long. It's Dana Roach. Uh, we just got news a week or so ago that uh, Wizards of the Coast um, in 2021 so far have hit $187 million in revenue, which is around $1 for each new card we've gotten this year. <laughs> That's um, That one stings. There, I checked that math out. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad because I'm bad at the math, so I appreciate you looking for it. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode? This week's episode, we're going to break down some numbers and look at commanders that play the most amount of rare cards, as in like the rare and mythic type of rarity. Um, um, and we'll break everything down by those rarities and, and check out the numbers. Yeah, this is really interesting. How many rares and including mythics are commanders playing on average? How many do we see in the 99? Which commanders are using the most and which commanders are using the least? It should be a whole lot of fun. Real quick, before we get to our main topic, let's pause and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone. They handle all the post-production work on our podcast and make it look as awesome as it does. And we want to thank our sponsors for the show, too. The EDH Redcast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Their prices and selection are fantastic, and you never have to worry that you forgot to bring your mask when you go to pick up singles. <laughs> Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question and choose vendor link down below. And doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you would prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We have patron tiers of all levels. We have patron exclusive content that comes out every single month. And it's just a great place to, to head over and you can support the show uh, just by heading to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. And we even have a very special tier where we shout out a patron just for supporting us. It's a pretty great deal, if I may say so myself. So this week, we do want to give a shout out to Jonathan Lassard. Thank you so much, Jonathan. We definitely appreciate all of your support. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Okay, fellas, now let's get into our main topic. We're talking about how often commanders use rares in the 99 and which commanders use the greatest number of rares and which commanders use the smallest number of rares. Rares, they tend to be the most impactful cards, so I expect we might see a whole lot, but the number did still surprise me. So let's real quick start off with a baseline average that, man, this one blew my mind. Matt, I don't know if it blew yours, but how many rares, including mythics, do we usually see on average in a commander deck? So across all commanders, across all colors, no matter what it is, decks that we are seeing, the average deck overall is running 42 and a half rares on average. So that's rare and mythic cards. Um, and it's just 42.5. Some are a little bit north, obviously some um, a little above. So just all averages out to be 42.5 cards are going to be in that rare and mythic slot in in the decks that we see. I, I want to linger on that for a second because that is a significant figure. Is it more or less than you guys thought it would be? Because I feel like that's bigger than I thought it would be. Dana, where's your head at Like when it comes to that number? Because that's all, that's nearly half of the commander deck just being rares, you know? It's bigger than I would have thought, but I think that's in part because a lot of times when we look at numbers like this, 
we are looking at a, a smaller overall segment of the deck. Like when we discuss how many sorceries are in a deck, well, you're discounting the lands usually, right? So, so the chunk of your deck can then be a sorcery is not really a hundred cards. It's, you know, 65 ish cards or whatever it is because the lands just don't count. How many cards in your three color deck are green? Well, that, that number tends to be lower too, because again, the lands don't really usually count in those, those discussions. Mm-hmm. In this case, we're talking about rarity, in which case the lands do count. And a lot of the really good utility in dual lands tend to be rare. So when you think about it in that context, it does make sense. The number does, it is big, but it only seems unusually big because we're usually discounting a third or so of decks when we have these kind of conversations. That makes a lot of sense. See, that's, I'm, I think 42 and a half is kind of in the ballpark of what I was kind of expecting, maybe a little bit low. Um, you mean you figure, yes, the rare lands is, is one thing that I think a lot of folks will kind of underestimate because even if you're not talking about like the shock lands, the fetch lands, the, the more expensive stuff, you have the temples. Those are rare and those are, you know, fairly cheap budget lands. You have the shadows over Innistrad cycle of lands. Like there's a bunch of really budget mana bases, but they're still counting as, as rare cards. Um, so if you take that into consideration, um, people get excited to play those rare and mythic cards. That's just like what a lot of folks just get really <laughs> excited to play. I know that's how I am for sure. So I was kind of expecting to be about a 50-50 split. Uh, yes, you're going to have some amount of basics unless you're Dana. Um, but then you're also <laughs> going to have some some amount of like your ramp cards, your a lot of your, your soul rings, stuff like that, which show up in, as commons and uncommons. Um, so I was going to guess probably about a 50-50 split amongst rare and mythic and then common and uncommon cards. Nice. I feel like I also want to point out here that we are basing this number, this figure is based on the rarity of the most recent printing of a card. You know, when it comes to the special like master sets, there could be downshifts in rarities or they might randomly turn fire and ice from an uncommon to a rare for no reason. So there is that (laughs) that could potentially mess with the data a little bit here and there. But overall, like that's always going to be a shifting target. So this is what we've currently got it when we take the observation right now. This also doesn't include basic lands when we're taking a look at those. So those won't be counted in here. But I do want to throw up some averages on the screen here for folks who are watching, and we can go through them for folks who are listening as well, of just the average rarity breakdown, because it is kind of interesting when we start picking it apart just a little bit, because that figure, the 42 and a half, was including rares and mythics, but when we actually break it down by just mythics, the average is closer to about 7, it's really 6.9 mythics tend to show up in a commander deck, the rares themselves is about 35.8, which is pretty interesting too, and then for uncommons, you see usually about 21, and commons, you see usually about 16, and there are some really powerful commons and uncommons out there, like your cultivates and, of course, Matt, as you mentioned, your soul rings. So that's definitely worth mentioning. Some of those numbers are not going to budge because we love those staples even when they're at lower rarities. But these are some pretty interesting numbers, especially when we break them apart a little bit more beyond just the 42 and a half figure. Well, and it's worth pointing out as well, um, not only are there just statistically less mythics in in a set to populate this number, but for more than half of magic existence, mythics didn't exist as a rarity. That just wasn't a thing. Um, so the fact that there are uh, such a low amount of mythics here makes sense when you consider the fact that we're, we're, we're choosing from a card pool going back all the way to alpha, and for half of that run, there just weren't mythics um, anyway. So, Dana, was that you trying to go with a back-in-my-day kind of situation? That's just <laughs> a little bit what it felt like. I don't know. That's kind of always what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So those are just the averages, though. You know, it, it, 
we want to go beyond just the averages. We want to take a look at some of the extremes. So for the rest of the show, let's break down the commanders that have the greatest number of rares and the least number of rares in their 99, because we could find some really interesting tendencies for which commanders are drawn to those very special mythic type of cards. And why is that the case? Let's start off with the greatest number of rares, the top five commanders there. Matt, start us off. What is the number five commander playing the most rares in their 99 on average? So number five, we'll start off and work our way up, is Atraxa Praetor's Voice. It's the four color commander, um, has all the keywords, has those proliferate abilities. It's one of the most built commanders of all time, had that title for a long, long time. Um, we're looking at the deck and seeing on average, the typical Atraxa Praetor's Voice deck is playing 63 total rares. That's uh, 17 mythic and 46 at true rare. <laughs> um, some notable ones are gonna be stuff like Vorinclex Mon monstrous raider uh, but then you also see some cards that kind of are kind of signpost cards uh the chain veil which is an artifact that lets you activate planeswalker abilities more than once a turn uh doubling season which combos very well with planeswalkers and then you have a slew of actual planeswalker cards seems that super friends decks kind of make the, the rarity of your your deck go up a little bit i would say yeah i feel like this is one that i maybe could have predicted because super friends you're not going to find them any rarities aside from rare and mythic unless it's the exception being like war of the spark you know so this one definitely felt like yeah i think i could have predicted that this was the case and dana i'm sure you love to see the super friends representation here uh, i do um the other thing i would i would add is i would expect obviously super friends text just because of the rarity and and, and mythic of plane of planeswalkers but i would guess the vast majority of these are also going to wind up being creature heavy decks um mm. and the reason i would say that is because it seems from a design sense Creatures have the most room for them to push the power boundaries in the rare and mythic slot. Um, when, when I look at a lot of the instant sorcery spells I've added to my deck in the last few years, you know, things like D-Spark is an uncommon or like draw spells like chart a course or, um, uh, winged words or something. Those are commons and uncommons in a lot of cases because they just can't push an ancestral recall level spell at rare or <laughs> yeah. mythic. That's something they just can't do. Whereas they can print a questing beast at those levels. And, and so I think there's a lot more room for powerful cards that are creatures and there are super powerful cards that are like draw spells or removal or something. There's just a lot more things they can, uh, boundaries they can push there. And as a result, when people go to add those powerful cards to their deck, it tends to be creatures. So I'm just going to guess we're going to see a lot of creature centric decks as we go on this list. Well, Dana, it's funny that you should say that because our number four commander that uses the greatest number of rares is a creature that cares about a lot of creatures in its deck. It's Scion of the Ur-Dragon, which currently has about 809 decks to its name. Scion of the Ur-Dragon is running an average of 66 total rares, 16 being mythic and uh, 50 being true rare. And you've got a lot of rare dragons in that deck that you can take advantage of. Stuff like the red-green Atarka, stuff like Udvara Hellkite, and also some fun utility spells that dragons love to use, like Crux of Fate is a really great rare board wipe. And even a card like Dragon's Horde can get you some rares right into your mana fixing, which is really intense. But yeah, generally, Dana, everything you just said there definitely holds up because there's a lot of rare creatures and dragons are definitely a creature type that they will have wanted to push over the years. Yeah, I mean, if, if you are playing a dragon deck, one thing that you can know is almost every set you are going to get a good red <laughs> mythic dragon. 
Um, whether or not it makes a cut in your deck or not is a different thing, but like you're going to always have an option and it's almost always going to be rare or mythic for sure. Um, so that definitely makes a huge difference in this kind of deck. Especially true when you consider too, it wasn't up until like Cons of Tarkir, that block, where we got dragons that weren't at the rare and mythic slot. Mm -hmm. um, that mm -hmm. was kind of when we first started seeing that and we've gotten more over the years since then. Um, but that hasn't really been that long in the scope of Magic the Gathering. We still mostly are getting dragons in that rare and mythic slot. Like we might get a couple at uncommon every now and then. But for the most part, like if you're playing a dragon deck, just by default, you're going to have a bunch of rares in there because dragons aren't really printed at common and uncommon. There's another thing that I want to point out here, too, is that technically among this top five, we could have also seen Tiamat, the new dragon tribal commander that's five colors from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. It also could have been included here. We decided to omit it from the list because it is so fresh that we didn't want there to be like too new bias within the data. But that is another five color dragon tribal commander that is peeking its head into the data here was just like, yeah, this tribe, especially when in five colors, really likes to see a whole lot of those rare dragons. Oh, and one thing that I've noticed about the two decks that we've talked about so far is they're four and five colors, which means uh, a lot of people are probably putting a premium into their mana base as well, which is upping the numbers mm -hmm. a little bit too. Um, like we mentioned before, like you have your shock lands, but even you have your, your temples, your check lands, uh, any sort of rare two mana um, cycle typically is going to be coming in at the rare, um, unless you're playing some more of the budget options like guild gates, but even like the triumphs, those are all rare as well. So if you're playing four and five colors, like you need those types of lands to, to have a smooth mana base. Yeah. If you are playing a perfect mana base for a five color deck, you're, you're talking, you know, what, 10 fetch lands, 10 shocks, 10 original duels, a uh. city of brass, a mana confluence. I mean, like, you're already getting 30 some cards towards the 45 we were looking at of rares just sure. in your mana base. And even if you're not going to go crazy and run the 10 ABUR duels or even 10 fetches, then you're, then you're going to swap in, okay, you know, checks and, and filters and things of that nature, which are all still rare as well. Like it's very easy, I would say, in a five color deck to run 35 rare lands without breaking a sweat. Okay, well, let's pause on the without breaking a sweat. I feel like some of the like the OG duels and the and the fetch lands that you just mentioned, I sweat just hearing you <laughs> yes, talk about. I mean, like yeah. price wise, they would make you sweat for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, flexing with old cards is definitely what Dana likes to do. So I, <laughs> I feel like we're kind of obligated almost since Dana's already talked about legends and and alpha already. Um, Dana, why don't you talk about this next legend then? Up next at number three, we have Angus McKenzie from way back in the Legends, the uh, band commander that you can tap to basically fog every time you want to use him. Um, 66 total rares in the deck, 13 mythics, and 53 rares. Uh, we're looking at cards here like Academy Rector, a really uh, old, expensive creature that tutors an enchantment directly into play. We have things like Seedborn Muse to untap your lands every single turn. Approach the Second Sun, which is an alternate win condition from um, at least a fairly recent set on the rest of this stuff like Peacekeeper. It's also old. This is a card I never would have guessed. Like the rest of them all make sense. And if you had asked me to try to populate this list, I might have put those cards on there. They're, they're new, they're strong, they're decks I see a lot. And they're actually on the EDH rec top list as well for commanders. This is not one I would have guessed <laughs> if you probably would have given me 200 tries. 
This see that I feel like I might have actually gotten around to guessing one like this because Angus McKenzie feels to me, especially since you were just talking about all those OG duels and stuff. This feels to me like the kind of commander where if you are able to play it because it's like three hundred and fifty dollars or something like that, right. this is the deck where you kind of flex a little bit, you know. So this feels like yeah, this is the deck that contains stuff like those duels, and it will contain wall to wall rares because. I mean, when you got a commander that is that expensive, the rest of the deck is just there to support that golden throne. Yeah, there, there, there's 232 Angus McKenzie decks, and that's the average price for like a beat up copy of Angus McKenzie. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it, like just the, the deck naturally. Like, I don't even know how an Angus McKenzie deck wins anymore besides Approach of the Second Sun. But like, the, I think the only time I've ever seen one in the wild was somebody just had a very expensive deck. They're just playing it because I have all these cards on the reserve list and I'm just going to play them in one deck. Yeah. All right. Let's move from number three now to our number two commander, which is playing a total of 71 rare cards. That is Kethis. The Hidden Hand, the Obzon Legend Commander, who makes all of your legendary spells cost one less, and you can exile two legendary cards from your graveyard to say until end of turn, each legendary card in your graveyard gains, you may play this card from your graveyard. It's a lot of graveyard, I'm totally here for it. Kethis has about 865 decks to his name right now, and again, there are an average of 71 total rares in that deck, the breakdown there being 12 of them as mythic and 59 as rares. And this one is sort of like we saw with the Dragon Tribals, I mean, yeah, legends, they tend to be printed at rare. So this is kind of a no-brainer. When you've got stuff like Reki, the History of Kamigawa, that's a legendary creature that cares about other legendary creatures. Yeah, that's going to be at rare. When you've got the legendary sorceries from Dominaria, like Primeval's Glorious Rebirth, those are also at rare. So you're filling out not just things that are in your creature slots at rare, but also a lot of your spells too. And again, even rare lands, like an Urborg in this deck isn't just there for color fixing, it's also there because it is a legendary land that this commander can take advantage of. So a lot of rares in a deck that cares a lot about legends. Well, I will kind of stress that point about the legends being at rare, because I think that's maybe something that newer players take for granted. Um, because since War of the Spark or so, we've pretty regularly gotten the legendary creatures at uncommon, some of which are pretty good. You know, Tatiova is an uncommon. Um, so like Sir Conrad's an uncommon. Like there are some really good ones out there. But prior to War of the Spark, you go back to sets like Kamigawa that had a few uncommon legends, most of which weren't particularly strong. And then, you know, prior to that, what, back in the legends had a couple uncommon legendary creatures too. But like that was a rare thing to get um, legendary creatures at uncommon prior to the last couple of years, whereas we've kind of gotten used to it now, I think. I think that's very true. I remember when Cardora came out in... Uh, in the Kaldheim set, the Rakdos commander that goads all of your enemies when it enters the battlefield. I saw that thing and I was like, they made this at uncommon? Disrupt Decorum was a rare. Granted, it was printed in a precon, but that was a rare effect to goad all of your enemies' creatures. Cardor is insane for a little uncommon card, even if it is in two colors. So yeah, I'm totally with you there. The, the power levels are not always attached to it being a gold symbol on the card, but it is definitely a thing that has really shifted recently. Yeah, it's, it's something that like Dana pointed out, like we, we get 40 legends a set these days, it seems like, um, and a bunch of them are coming in the, those uncommon slots. And so, yeah, for a long, long time, we just did not get legends at anything other than rare and mythic. That was just kind of how it was, um, unless it was kind of a theme. So yeah, I would say probably Dominaria was when we, we really started to see 
those those legendary creatures coming in at the uncommon slot. But yeah, it's, it's a very, very recent thing. So these numbers might change for Kethis, but for now, just because of, we have so much history of, of rare and mythic legends, um, Kethis is going to be coming in at number two. So that's what I want to ask too. Like Dana, are you hinting that you think that Kethis's numbers might go down over time or do you think they'll stay where they are? I, I would say that despite us mentioning things like like Sir Conrad and Tatiova, Generally speaking, I would say on average, the uncommon legends are still weaker than the rare legends. And I think when people are looking to, you know, find slots in their deck, odds are it's going to be a rare legend that's powerful enough to to, to make that cut versus an uncommon one. Um, it's still more frequent that they show up, but that rarity at the power level it requires to make a deck. So I, I would bet probably not. You, okay. you say that, but then Wazzy's going to hear this and R&D <laughs> is just going to say challenge accepted and sure. get off with some some fire design or whatever they call it these days. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So we've talked about those four. Now let's move to the number one commander that plays the most rares in their 99. Matt, bring us to number one. Who is it? So coming up, we have Asika, God of the Tree. Um, that was the Kaldheim Commander, which has almost 1,400 decks at this point, um, despite only being out for about eight months or so. Um, 76 total rares are in the deck. Um, 32 are mythic and 44 are at the true rare slot. Um, if you've seen the card, it's it's God Tribal. There's all sorts of just God synergies in there, um, mostly coming from the, the Kaldheim set, but also back from the original Theros block. Um, there were quite a few gods coming in there, and then um, there's some top deck manipulation type of, of cards in there, which happen to be like Vampiric Tutor, which... I hear that's a pretty rare card to find. <laughs> it's a pretty rare card. That's one of those things that gets printed at either rare or more likely mythic for sure. And it's such a great way to set up the Essica ability of the Prismatic Bridge, which is what everyone's really playing it for, because that just flips stuff into play for free on your turn, which is a great thing to set up with that Vampiric Tutor. Or you can just flip a random Karametra God of Harvests into play, which is a great mythic. Or you can flip a Xenagos God of Revels into play. If you take a quick scan through Essica's page, you see a a lot of those Theros gods, a lot of those Kaldheim cards too. It is just, why not cheat Mythics into play? It's so much fun. So this is a great taker for number one. Yeah, well, you, you talk about creature types that only came in a certain rarity for a long time. Um, all the original God cards that we got, those were all Mythic, which is why you're seeing 32 Mythic cards in a Sika's deck on average. Um, just all those original Theros gods and a lot of them that we've seen since, they're all Mythic. They're Mythic and on top of that, because they were gods, they tended to be made into very splashy cards on top of that. They all felt um, at least a little bit pushed or at least a little bit notable um, in a way that makes you want to put them in your deck. So like, there's just a lot of things coming together that really make this Asika deck run a lot of splashy rares and mythics. Well, you, you don't always have to play the gods. You can also cheat a Sphinx of the Second Sun into play too. And then that will give you another upkeep for Essica to go and flip you even more stuff. I mean, it doesn't just have to be the gods if you don't want it to, but it's still probably going to be some really awesome mythics, even if you don't choose God Tribal. <laughs> yeah. Now, fellas, we just went through a whole bunch of commanders that Matt, as you noted, were like five color, four color, three color, a lot of colors. And as you noted, that might slightly bump up the stuff that they've got going on in the land base because of how many rare lands that there could be. And maybe that might count as an artificial inflation. So stepping away just for a second from the top five, I wanted to restrict it down to two color and monocolor commanders to see 
which among the two color and mono colors were using the greatest number of rares too, just to give them a fair shake and see where they land. And coming in for the two color commanders that are playing the most rares, it's some pretty interesting stuff. We see that Captain Sisse, the two color Selesnia commander that can go and find you legends, it's showing up with 62 rares on average in its deck, which is a whole bunch. Then there's stuff like Linvala, Shield of Seagate, which is a pretty obscure one. That's the flying commander that can like sacrifice itself to give your stuff hexproof and shroud. That's playing 57 total rares, which I think means that there's a lot of angels beating people from all of that. And then we've also got that tied with Bruticlad Telcor Engineer that also runs about 57 rares too. So there's some pretty interesting takers in here that play a whole bunch of rares just among two color commanders. Dana, do you have any thoughts about any of these two color commanders that are playing all these rares? Um, the Linvala thing makes complete sense. It's, it's kind of functionally the equivalent of the dragon deck too, you know, as, as regular as it is to get the big mythic um, dragon in, in a set you routinely get the big mythic angel in a set as well. So mm. um, th that one completely makes sense to me. And I'm not surprised to see some kind of a, an, an angel there that, that tends to have angels in the deck. Yeah, well, and the same thing that we said about Kethis the Hidden Hand also applies to Captain Sisse. Uh, when you have legends that historically have been at rare and mythic for a long, long time, um, no matter what the color combination is, you're going to have a, a high density if the commander lends itself to being legendary tribal. Very much. So those were some two-color entries. And then here are the monocolored ones, which... This one is going to be a bit of a doozy, and it will give us a chance to put Dana under a microscope, because Dana, you were playing some commanders that play a whole lot of rares, even when they're monocolor. The top monocolor commander that plays the most rares is Reki the History of Kamigawa, with 61 average rares in the deck. Again, it's going back to that legend thing, but you're also playing Jiru with Eyes Open, who on average runs 58 total rares again with the planeswalker stuff and then also we have to throw in here that there's also rick steadfast leader happens to be one of the commanders that plays a whole bunch of rares in the deck there's 58 on average for rick steadfast leader but let's focus on the recce and the jeru dana we didn't know that you love commanders that love those gold symbols so much i it's good to see the stuff that you've got going on there it's like you were psychic about this or something yeah, um, and, and that's, you know, on, t on top of the fact that those numbers are being really watered down because in most of those monocolored decks, I'm running at least 10 to 12 basic lands. <laughs> And you'd think that the number of basic lands would help, like, that's got to be, I think, a, a big component in why monocolor, yeah, it's all those basics. There's l fewer opportunities for rares, but yeah. it is funny to me that you have found two commanders that still play as many of them as you can. I didn't know that you were, <laughs> right. I mean, Matt, did we call him a gold digger for this or something like that? Because it just sort of feels like he's playing a lot of the, Dana can't help but play a bunch of the rares, right? Well, I mean, knowing Dan, it's, he's not a gold digger. I wouldn't say he's a foil digger. That's that's ah, where I think the... Uh, I like my bling. That's definitely <laughs> yep, true. There it is. I just thought that was really, really interesting. And maybe later we can see where some of uh, Matt and I's commanders fall. But Dana, it's just kind of funny to see the representation that you've got there. Even when you're straying away from five color stuff, you've got a whole bunch of rares apparently in the decks that you play on average, which is pretty fun. So those were the commanders that play a whole bunch of rares. And then we also want to talk about the commanders that play the smaller number of rares, which commanders are just perfectly fine relying upon those silver set symbols and stuff like that. So we will get to that in the second half of the show. But before we get there, let's pause and challenge some stats. It's just one of our favorite segments here on the show because there's so much data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes I think the cards see too much play or too little play, so we love to challenge those statistics. Matt, start us off. What's your challenge this week? So this week, I was kind of perusing some Boros decks. I've been looking at, you know... How am I going to make this Boros precon, or excuse me, lore hold precon? <laughs> um, 
a little more interesting. How can I soup it up a little bit? Um, I was looking around with some artifact synergies, and I Bronze Guardian is a card that I just I can't get over kind of how silly it is. Um, it's a an artifact creature golem uh, for four and a white that, uh, with double strike that has ward two, which is you have to pay two more mana for your opponents to uh, target it with a spell. And Bronze Guardian's uh, power is equal to the number of artifacts you control. Um, that ability is pretty great just if you're playing a whole lot of artifacts. Um, if you look at the typical Akiri Line Slinger, the original um, Akiri version with Partner, um, it's kind of being played as a second copy. It's in over 50% of Akiri Line Slinger decks, which makes a lot of sense. But if you look at other popular Boros partners or just Boros equipment type of decks, the numbers for Bronze Guardian drops off quite a bit. Um, the, so the decks that I'm going to challenge this in that I think you should be playing, be seeing a little bit more play is in the Arden Intrepid Archaeologist and Rograk, Son of Roga, or excuse me, Rugrat, Son of Roga. <laughs> there we um, go. I, be- I believe we we dubbed it officially. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bronze Guardian is not currently showing up on the Arden and Rograk deck at all. It's not on the page, can't be seen. And it's just functionally another version of that that beater that you really want. It doesn't have the commander damage, which is kind of a, a downfall. But if you're playing enough equipment decks um, like or if you're playing enough equipment cards, I should say, like the Arden Rogue Rock decks are, having that out there, even if you're not equipping onto Bronze Guardian, just being able to get bigger with all the equipments that you play, in addition to treasure tokens that are just popping up everywhere, having that double strike, having that ward, that's just a very, very efficient beater. I've been super impressed with it whenever I've played it in a you know in my Lorehold pre-con decks. So I'm surprised it's not showing up in more, but especially in Arden Rogue Rock, I think it should be getting a little bit more love. So play more bronze guardians folks um it's just gonna just deal a lot of damage that's a very powerful ability to scale up with the number of artifacts like when urza's construct tokens are also scaling up i mean we've all seen how big an urza construct token has gotten or if you're lucky you haven't seen how big those constructs can get and bronze guardian with the double strike is just even more savage yeah and especially those equipment decks tend to run a lot of the you know sort of x and y sort of 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 U and V, whatever <laughs> type of weapons, which give you protection from two colors because the downside is it doesn't have evasion. However, if you're playing one of those decks that has a bunch of equipment, it, it functionally is going to be able to hit somebody if you have to suit it up as well. It's not your like probably your first choice, but putting three or four swords onto a creature that's probably going to natively be like a 10-10 with double strike is going to be good enough in playing situations. Yeah, I mean, the, the typical decks, they're, like they're playing Swiftblade Vindicator, which doesn't scale at all. It's just a double strike, Vigilance, and Trample Um a lot of those equipments that you're playing in the average deck, they're giving you trample already. Double Strike is built into Bronze Guardian, but it just happens to get bigger and bigger, the same as Swift Blade Vindicator would, except with Bronze Guardian, it just gets bigger twice as fast. And it's got the ward. That's a really cool yeah, challenge. It has ward, yeah. I totally dig it, Matt. I'm going to move to our listener-submitted challenge now. This one comes from Brandon from our Discord. Brandon has a challenge for the card Alexi's Cloak and also sort of a sneaky double up here with diplomatic immunity as well. Alexi's Cloak is an enchantment in blue for just two mana that says you can play it as though it were an instant. So it's got that flash and it just gives the enchanted creature Shroud. And Diplomatic Immunity is a pretty similar card here, a two mana card that itself has Shroud and gives the enchanted creature Shroud. Brandon points out that these are pretty darn good for commanders that you just need to keep them alive. Like we all are familiar with the 
square foot boots and with the lightning greaves, but there are commanders that can draw a lot of fire and little enchantments like this that just make sure that they're never going to come under any fire from pinpoint removal. And in the case of Alexei's cloak specifically, allowing you to do that at flash speed, that can be really, really clutch for commanders that you really, really need to keep on the battlefield. Brandon points out that they love to use it in their Xanathar deck, which is just, that seems like one of those commanders that you're going to want to make sure that you keep alive, especially because it costs so much to get out in the first place. Alexei's Cloak specifically only shows up in about 900 decks right now, and Diplomatic Immunity is in a it shows up in like about 2,500 if I'm looking at the numbers right. So these are some shroud enchantments that are pretty budget friendly that you might want to look for if you've got a commander that you just cannot risk losing ever. So great pick, Brandon. Thank you so much for the challenge submission. And Dana, we're going to round it out with you. What's your challenge this week? Uh, my challenge set is Shimmer Dragon. It's a six mana dragon, a four blue blue for a five six with flying. As long as you control four or more artifacts, it has hex proof and you can tap two untapped artifacts you control and you can draw a card. Um, it's in just over 4,000 decks, which is a decent amount, but I think this is a card people kind of sleep on um, for a couple reasons. Number one, the, the things you do with artifacts in blue tend to not always leave things that are free to just tap to draw cards. Um, at least that's what I think people's first instinct is. Um, second, it's a card that came out in the Eldraine Brawl precon decks. And that was in the middle of Eldraine coming out, a set that was one of the strongest sets of all time. So I think people got distracted by that. And it was in the Brawl decks, which had some insanely strong face commanders and Arcane Signet. So I think like everyone kind of got blinded by that as well and, and didn't really pay that close of attention to Shimmer Dragon. It is a stupid card. It is <laughs> disgustingly good, especially given the amount of treasures we've got in the few, last few years or even things like food and clue tokens we just got a bunch of in oh. the most recent Modern Horizons 2 set. There's just so many incidental artifact tokens we can make these days that you can just tap a couple of to draw a card after just accidentally giving this 5-6 dragon hexproof because you have so many treasures and artifacts just lying around anyway on top of the you know additional artifact lands we've gotten to help give it hexproof as well oh. it's just a really good card in a whole bunch of ways and should see more play than the 4000 decks it's already in this was one that I will like when it first came out, I was going like, mm, I don't know, but we've gotten so many treasure token production cards ever since that point that my opinion is definitely shifting on it. And also, Dana, have you paired this yet with an unwinding clock? Um, I, I haven't that I, I would that would be really fun to do. I, I have managed to like tap, you know, eight or ten treasures as well as tap another six pieces of equipment and just oh. draw a dozen cards just because um, that feels pretty good. That seems that seems okay. Man, rares. They have powerful effects. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Right, Who'd have guys. thought? Let's get into our main topic again. The second half of the show, we're going to be talking about the commanders that play the smallest number of rares in their 99. They just don't care about it. Commons and uncommons are good for them. They'll play a couple of rares here and there, but they don't always need to have a whole bunch of rares in the deck. So let's take a look at those. Real quick, I will throw out the caveat that we are not counting any commanders that have fewer than 100 decks, so none of that will happen. It didn't end up being relevant for the purposes of this data search, but I did want to throw it out. We're only talking about commanders that have enough data to feel substantial. So so Matt, start us off. What is our number five commander that doesn't feel like it needs to put a whole bunch of rares into its deck to do what it wants to do? 
So number five, we're going to see Zada Hedron Grinder. Um, it's the mono red commander, has 1,200 decks to their name, so a decent amount of popularity there. Um, we're only seeing 15 total rares in the deck. Um, that's on average actually zero mythics. They're all coming in at the rare slot. Um, some of the, the notable rares that we're seeing here, though, stuff like Twin Flame, um, Runaway Steamkin, types of cards that are gonna let you just chain together a whole bunch of instants and sorceries, um, which a lot of the instants and sorceries that the typical deck is playing, they're not rare. They're, they're gonna be a lot of those uh, common and uncommon cards because you're just trying to go wide and, and set up a, a big, big swing. Yeah, Zada's ability to copy the spells that you cast targeting your stuff will just allow you to go crazy with a simple card like Expedite. It's just a common, you target one of your creatures, and you'll draw a card for it. And Zada's like, well, I mean, that's just a common, that's a cantrip. That's perfect for me. So the deck can just be full of a bunch of those little tiny tricks that actually Zada herself will expand into a very big trick indeed, and they don't need to be big spells. Uh, yeah, the other commander that feels very similar to this and how it plays out is, is Feather the Redeemed. Um, Instead of going wide and, and copying those spells onto a bunch of creatures, in the Feather deck, you're just recasting them repeatedly. But a lot of the same kind of playstyle is at work there. The difference, I would guess, in the Feather deck is it's a two-color deck. So you're going to have lands soaking up rare slots here versus that that's mono-red, where there's just going to be a ton of basics here. They're going to push those numbers down. Um, and that's probably the difference, I'm going to guess, because it, it's just one of those decks that runs a bunch of cheap common cards whose effect when cumulative is really, really powerful. That is a very astute observation. Dana, you're right that we won't be seeing Feather amongst this new top five, but Feather definitely is not playing a whole lot of rares in her deck for exactly the same reason. Let's move to our number four, though. Here's another commander that you are playing. So you're on both extremes of this map. I am. Who's our number four? Uh, number four is a Talrand Sky Summoner, just over 1,400 decks with 14 total rares, zero mythics <laughs> in the in the decks we're looking at. Um, notable rares here, we have things like the uh, Archmage Emeritus that draws you a card when you cast or copy a spell. Um, there's a Docent of Perfection that's going to make you a token when you cast a spell. It's kind of a, a backup Talrand in that deck. Um, Bident of Thassa that's going to draw you cards when you swing an attack with all the drakes you're going to make. Um, so there are a few things in this deck, but like by and large, people tend to be running cantrips, which is what my deck is based around, or a lot of counter spells to play as a control deck. And kind of as I talked about earlier, those just tend to be cards that are uncommon or common because there's just not that much space to push the power level of counter spells or draw spells before it really causes problems. This is definitely a pattern that we see. The spell slinger decks, I think as sort of a genre, can really get away with not needing a whole bunch of rares just based off of what we're seeing here because it's hard to beat a ponder. And frankly, I wouldn't want Wizards of the Coast to design better ponders. I mean, that, that literally is the kind of thing that breaks formats. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not like Ponder is already banned in, in some extended formats that uh, have very large card pools. It's, <laughs> it's such an insanely powerful card, and they, like, they've tried. They're trying real hard. So if we take a quick break from the spell-slingery stuff that we've seen so far at number five and number four, we're going to move to a slightly different and kind of curious direction. I definitely did not see this one coming, but it's pretty darn funny that it's here. The number three commander that uses the fewest number of rares in the deck is Yargle, Glutton of Urborg. The vanilla, five mana, nine three, and mono black, the legendary frog spirit at Uncommon from Dominaria, 
This thing's only running 13 rares in the deck on average. Two of them are mythic and then 11 true rares. You've got some notable cards like Demonic Embrace, which is a flying aura that you can slap onto this thing to get a bit more Voltron commander damage going. You've also got stuff like Black Blade Reforged or Lashwrath showing up as cool rares that can pump up this commander. But yeah, Yargle, the glutton of Urborg, shows up playing... this thing's an uncommon. It doesn't need a whole bunch of rares to just tear through life totals because it is a frog that means business. Yeah, the the, the Yargle decks that I've seen, like more often than not, they're kind of a meme style deck. <laughs> um, they're just being silly because, I mean, it's a 9-3 frog spirit. Um, it's like the card itself is just pretty silly. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, I know Benny Smith for a while, a good friend of the podcast. He had a Yargle deck. I think he still has it around, but yeah, it's just, it's a fun, silly deck. I I don't know how many people are building Yargle decks to be absolutely cutthroat other than maybe the the occasional tainted strike. Um, (laughs) but I, I don't really know if anybody's really, um, souping these up to to compete at the uh, the high power tables. So the the one thing I will note is I, I have played against uh, a Yargo Voltron deck um, six or eight months ago. I was actually on a spell table game, um, and we had a brief conversation about the deck. Afterwards, the person was playing a lot of equipment in the deck and in a few enchantments, but they tended to be relatively weak equipment, um, uncommon and common pieces of equipment. And the, the reason given was because the really good pieces of equipment tend to have expensive equip costs. Mm. Um, Batter skill is, you know, what, five mana to equip. The, the, these, these swords of X and Y are all three. And you can afford to, to run quite a few of those in other colored decks where you can cheat those costs with things like Sigarda's Aid or with a Pure Steel Paladin. You can't do that in mono black. So you, you have to be running equipment that's easy to put onto Yargle when you swing in, and that just winds up being not rare equipment. Well, and Matt, it's funny that you would mention that, uh, you know, the occasional Tainted Strike for those Yargle decks. Tainted Strike is the number one most high synergy card that shows up in Yargle decks. Like, that is the 74% of players are running Tainted Strike to just give that 9-3 an extra plus one and some Infect for an insta hit. And the next card after that, the next most popular card in Yargle decks is is Phyresis just an enchantment to give him infect? So it's actually a little bit mean. And Tainted Strike is a common. Yeah, it these there's just some infect, some little combat tricks here and there. Some so like it, it does seem a little bit more cutthroat than maybe I gave it credit for at first. Uh, I mean, if you're getting infected out by a legendary frog, then that sounds like uh, <laughs> you probably kissed the wrong prince. That's just <laughs> that's my theory. It honestly sounds like an honor to be infected out by Yargle. <laughs> Bring on the the Yargle. Yargle, we, we love to see you here, friend. Okay, let's move from number three to number two. Dana, take us to it. Which is the number two commander using the fewest rares? Uh, the number two commander, um, 972 decks, is Shire Death Storehouse with 12 total rares. This is another one of those with zero mythics here in the list. Um, there's a few notable rares. There are things like Desecrated Tomb that's going to make you a bat when something leaves your graveyard or Grim Horror Specs where you get to draw a card um, when a thing you control dies. But by and large, every Shire deck I've ever seen runs a bunch of relatively mediocre one-drops that have sacrifice abilities or something. So 
you can bring them back into play with the, with the Shirei ability. Yeah, that ability is so potent. Whenever your creatures with power one or less die, Shirei will just bring them right back on the next turn. So you can just repeatedly sacrifice them to a Viscera Seer. So you can constantly get like a Serrated Scorpion to just deal two damage every time it dies and then bring it right back and do it again next turn. So all those little tiny ankle biters, they really do add up for this deck and they don't need to be very rare to do it. Yeah, it's a deck where the, the creatures that wind up in the rare or mythic slot just don't qualify for Shirei's ability. So uh, people yeah. just have wind up using the, the commons and uncommons that tend to be much more fragile because those fit with how the deck works. I feel like I love that. Is it just me? Like, I think I love that this is a commander that really encourages you to like, I don't like, I'm going to stray away from those rare things. Cause Dana, just like you said, rare cards probably don't meet the criteria for this deck almost at all. So I really like that type of design and I would really enjoy seeing it more often from other commanders in the future. We can talk about that later though, because Matt, I think you are going to take us to our number one commander, which commander is playing the least number of rares in their deck on average. Well, I mean, we talk about legendary frog spirits. Now we're going to talk about legendary monkeys. Um, so we've got Grun <laughs> the Lonely King um, coming in with 214 decks, the mono green legend from back in Dominaria. Um, eight total rares are making their way into the average Grun list. Um, we have some some notables here. Uh, Return of the Wild Speaker, um, quite the haymaker, draw you a whole bunch of cards or just make Grun very, very big. Um, but you also have some stuff like Mosswort Bridge to cheat things out in a play. Uh, Nissa who shakes the world, doubling up all of your forest mana. Um, so there's still a, a few haymakers coming in at the rare slot, but for the most part, like Grun just wants to go boom. And uh, the <laughs> typical deck looks like they're doing a pretty good job of that. Very much. Because Grun, whenever it attacks alone, you double its power and toughness until end of turn. And you can also use it with Kicker to even give it more counters when you actually cast it. But yeah, it kind of wants to be on its own. So it... I mean, it's a lonely king for a reason, and Grun is the loneliest number, and he's fine with that. Other rares would just distract <laughs> it. I, I'm glad you appreciated that one. Thank I, you. I, I, that, was, that was well played, sir. Just, yeah, other rares, especially like rare creatures, would just distract from the game plan here, which is just like, I've got my commander. He is very large when he attacks, and he's the only one that wants to attack, so I'll just buff him up and protect him with green spells like Ranger's Guile or Sheltering Word and give him a bunch of plus one counters and just go to town. Yeah, this is another one of those cards that I never would have guessed would wind up being the the one that shows up here as uh, the most lonely commander overall when it comes to having friends who are rare. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed this at all, but <laughs> looking at the deck and what we're seeing here, it, it does make sense in hindsight. So I mentioned earlier when we were talking about Shirei that I kind of like the commanders that encourage you to stray away from rares and that I might want to, like, I'd be interested in seeing other commanders that kind of encourage us to go and find just regular commons and uncommons instead of always defaulting to rares. And I kind of wanted to get your guys' opinions about that. Like, is that the type of thing, Matt, that you think that you would also want to see in the future? Or do you think there would be drawbacks to that type of design? Would it require a different type of thing that I haven't maybe taken into account? Like, I don't know, just kind of want your opinions on, on those commanders that do or do not use a whole bunch of rares and whether you think there's one that you might want to see more of in the future. I mean, it really depends on the theme. Um, I would have expected maybe to see like Shu Yun, Silent Tempest, on the list for the least amount of rares because that typically is a spell slinger type of deck, but then it's also three colors. So um, seeing that we do have a mono blue version of a, of a spell slinger, um, I think that just that strategy in general tends to lend itself very well to um, like a lot of commons and uncommons because just the nature of, of how they kind of design those um, 
but I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it just depends on what the theme is. Um, I, w- I would have guessed maybe like there's a whole bunch of elves. So if you want to build an elf tribal deck, you could probably do it without using any rares or at least um, the most recent printing was was not at rare. Um, so I like seeing some themes that get to, to play around in that space, um, but I don't know if it's ever going to be on purpose, maybe. I mean, obviously, I'm a fan of decks that request you use more obscure cards. That's you know one of the things I love about this format. Um, from a design perspective, um, I have a feeling that they are probably going to lean more heavily into encouraging you to chase more rare cards because that sells more packs. Yeah, that that I can totally make sense. Uh, and I kind of wonder too if like there's maybe a an emergent linearity that we might run the risk of, for example, like in looking through some of the numbers before we compiled everything into the show, I did notice that a handful of commanders like Halar the Fire Fletcher or Anya Falconrath, excuse me, Miss Angie, uh, that they also weren't super high on running a bunch of rares in their deck because they didn't need to be. And those are, I think, a little bit linear. Like those do kind of feel like decks that build themselves because they are so strongly committed to a kicker theme or to a madness theme in that case, which does require you to run a lot of those random commons, but not even because you care about them being cards with madness that you're going to use, but because the deck is using them for a completely different purpose. So I wonder if like that linearity might be a thing that is, I don't know. I haven't, I guess, made up my mind completely, but I just, I really like Shirei. And I feel like the reason I like Shirei is because it is a really cool thing that encourages you to play a lot of commons. And it's not just because it sacrifices a lot of stuff. And I know that we know how much I love sacrificing stuff, but I'm trying to be unbiased here, guys. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I do like those designs a lot. I, I, I wonder also, though, if this, because of the complexity we tend to see um, at common uncommon, meaning there's less of it, I wonder if that just gives them a lot less design space to play in as well. That makes sense. There's one other thing, a small random data tidbit that I won't go too deep into the numbers because we might be here all day if I were to do that. But I looked through the monocolored commanders amongst the top 100 and the bottom 100, as in like the most rares or the least rares, because I wanted to see if there were any commonalities there. And I feel like this may not come as a surprise to you. And it's a trend that I just want us to discuss a little bit here. Among the commanders in monocolor that play a whole bunch of rares, a lot of them were mono white, like Elish Norn or Abyssin Angel of Hope, for example. And when I looked at the commanders that don't play a lot of rares, I didn't see many mono white at all. In fact, it was the inverse. There were a lot of mono green or mono blue or mono black commanders that could get away with not playing a whole bunch of rares. And I kind of wanted to put that into the open for us to discuss here too. Like Matt, do you kind of get that that feeling that maybe when you're building a mono white deck and commander, do you feel like you kind of need to play a lot of rares in order to keep up with everything that all of the other colors are doing, whereas other colors can get away with not playing a whole bunch of rares because of how powerful they are? Or do you have a different take? Yeah, I mean, like what we kind of saw with the data that we just went over, like I think a lot of the other colors have a, a easier chance to go about without having a whole bunch of high rarity just because... I feel like this is kind of copying out, but like the way that a lot of the cards have been designed in recent years, um, mono white kind of needs to rely on those big powerful effects because they don't really get that many. Like the vanilla three ones just aren't going to keep up with, you know, all those support cards that all the other colors get like Gren the Lonely King, you know, can compete with the Elish Norns because it's just naturally so much bigger and can do its thing. Whereas, you know, you're not going to see a whole lot of those mono white type of things. Like, I feel maybe there's a couple very specific decks that maybe can, um, but I think overall, like mono white, just they kind of rely on those those big powerful effects because the typical commons and uncommons just 
I don't think they really stack up. Um, yeah, and I think this also probably ties back to a point we made much earlier on about how there's just a lot more space in creature design to to push power level. And white is a color where they love to staple effects onto creatures as well. Um, there just aren't Ristic study kind of effects in white. They like to put those on a body. So like if you want to have a bit of card advantage, it tends to be a Sun Titan versus a Mystic Remora or something. Um, so I think that's part of it here as well. I, I think that there's just more room in white to push, in general, to push the boundaries on creatures, and white tends to be a creature color. So I think that there's some overlap there as well. Yeah, what, what you guys said makes a lot of sense to me. And also, as Dana, you had noted, there are certain archetypes, it seems, that will also fall into playing more or fewer rares. Like you've said with the Spellslinger, like that will pretty consistently be the type of deck that can get away with fewer rares. And I'm sure that that will go for plenty of other different archetypes compared to you know the super friends as we saw with the commanders that play a whole bunch of rares that's a whole lot of mythic so there are some that might be a little bit more circumscribed within the data but also at the end of the day i feel like it's important to shout out that like rares are certainly not the end all be all because some of those commanders that we just went over are very very powerful and even if you're playing zero other rares in the deck you can still get away with a lot of really cool cards because there are just so many that we've got access to so this was really interesting to venture down but you know, even though Dana is playing a bunch of those commanders like Reki and stuff that apparently Dana just loves playing rares all over the place. Dana, you don't need to in order to win the game. It's okay. You can play some of the stuff that doesn't, that just commons will still do, friend. I like to style on my my, my games when I when I crush my opponents into the dirt. So, I mean, I... <laughs> Is this how I, I roll? Say, what, 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 what are you talking about, Joey? Like, Dana ca casts more commons than any of us because he casts Knight's Whisper and <laughs> Sighted Blood game, right? and Read the Bones every <laughs> single game. That is absolutely true. It's nice to see that, yeah, exactly. It's a, a, a living example of the fact that the commons will st still crush just as much. And in those cases, he's styling on us because he's put his life total to one without us being able to do any damage to, it, to him at all, and he's still got there. So awesome stuff, guys. This was a whole bunch of fun but i think we're going to call it to a close if our listeners would like to get in touch with us where is it that they can find us all let's start with you matt so you can find me on the twitters at mathemus 55 that's m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s-5-5 and don't forget wednesday evenings we are streaming over twitch.tv slash edh recast we have guests on every single week to join in on the fun so make sure you tune in at twitch.tv slash edh recast and dana you can find me on the twitter birds at dana roach you can hear me on my other podcast cmdr central i'm writing articles for commanders herald and edh rec and you can find all three of us together at patreon.com slash edhretcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at edhretcast on both Facebook and on Twitter as well. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at edhretcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the folks at the Command Zone podcast who are handling the post-production work on our podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors one more time, too. They are TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. And we are sponsored by Altersleeves.com. You can find them using the price info links on edhretc or visiting card kingdom.com slash idiotrek or aldersleeves.com slash idiotrekcast and that shows your support for the show listeners we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember idiotrek your deck before you wreck your deck <laughs>